Time now for the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Hi, everybody. I'm Tanner Hoops. Glad that you're with us on this Monday afternoon. Hope your work week is off to a great start. And if you haven't been working today, well, then lucky you. We have a lot to cover today. Clay Matthews, Patrick Mahomes, Adrian Peterson, Le'Veon Bell all in the news. Tiger Woods gets back to winning ways. And the Jimmy Butler saga continues in Minnesota. But we start in the NFL and we start with the Packers. Green Bay falling yesterday against Washington by a score of 31-17. to The Packers moved to 1-1 and 1 on the season. It's a very weird situation in Green Bay. They could very easily be 2-1. They could very easily be 1-2. They have had inconsistencies throughout, and primarily it's come on the defensive side of things. Aaron Rodgers can only do so much. He can do his thing, but Aaron Rodgers has never been known for having a strong enough defense uh, generally to get the job done, and that proves to be the case here early on this year. Uh, Somebody just wants someone to blame for that defense, and Dom Capers was the scapegoat. He's gone, so who do you blame for now? It's appearing like Mike McCarthy. You look back at Green Bay's first three games this year. Week one, a 24-23 win over Chicago. Green Bay had to come back from a 20-0 deficit. Allowed 17 points in the first half. Came back and held the Bears to a pair of field goals in the second half. So, a couple of good quarters for Green Bay after a rough start. Then three great quarters against Minnesota last week in which uh, they held the Vikings just seven points entering the fourth quarter. But 22 fourth quarter points allowed the Vikings take that game to overtime. So, three good quarters out of that game. You're up to five good quarters in your first uh, eight of the season. Then yesterday, 28 points allowed in the first two quarters of that game as the Redskins built a three-score lead at halftime. So then Washington was held to just a field goal in the second half. That came in the fourth quarter. So really, Green Bay has played seven good quarters defensively this season. You want to break it down even further, they've had three shutout quarters, one yesterday in the third against Washington, and then two against Minnesota. Green Bay has not shut out its opponents in the first or the fourth quarter this year, which you can make the case that's when it's most imperative to put zeros on the board. Let's split Green Bay's 12 quarters in half. In six of the 12 quarters this year, Green Bay has allowed just nine points. Pretty good. Going to win you some bowl games. The other six quarters, Green Bay has allowed 74 points. Repeating that one more time, six of the 12 quarters this year, Green Bay has allowed nine points. In the other six quarters, 74 points. So what's to blame or who's to blame for the Packers' inconsistencies on defense? Well, part of the blame can go on the league. You look at what's happened to Clay Matthews here in the first three weeks of the season, three roughing the passer calls on Clay. He's had four In his first nine years as an NFL player prior to this season, he's got three in three games thus far in 2018. Now, the first first penalty over against Chicago, that was a roughing the passer call. They got that one right. The one last week against Minnesota, that cost Green Bay a win. They didn't lose, but it cost them a win. Uh, That was garbage. That shouldn't have happened. Yesterday, what happened yesterday was garbage. Uh, you just feel for Clay. You feel for linebackers around the league because what do you do? And ultimately, this is going to cost the league. This is going to cost the NFL uh, viewership and all likelihood it's going to cost them money. You wonder what you have to do if you're a linebacker. I mean, do you have to lay the quarterback down as gently as you can, put a pillow underneath his head and tuck him in? I mean, what do you do? It's getting to the point where it's illegal. Uh, use your hands to bring the quarterback down. You can't even land on him. 
how do you tackle somebody without landing on? I think you're getting to a point where defensive players are going to be put at risk for injury, uh, straining themselves to avoid getting the roughing the passer call. In fact, we did see an injury to a defensive player yesterday directly linked to this rule. William Hayes of the Dolphins during their 28-20 win over Oakland tore his ACL because he was trying to avoid putting all his body weight on Derek Carr when he sacked him. Tore his ACL. Got Richard Sherman and defensive players speaking out about it. Like, I know why they do it. The quarterbacks are the golden boys in Roger Goodell's eyes. For him, it's all about the quarterback. He made the rule uh, to protect Aaron Rodgers last year. Uh, Tom Brady, what, five years ago. You can't hit him low, you can't hit him high. So what do you do to take down the quarterback? And it's getting to the point where you just got to put flags on him. It's getting ridiculous, and I don't think it's going to go away. I think we're going to continue to go down uh, go down a slippery slope as far as the uh, uh, rule changes, the NFL going uh, somewhat soft, if you want to go that route. Uh, and I don't think it's going to get better until the NFL sees that their sponsorships, their viewerships are dwindling away. So things just aren't going to change in the NFL until that happens. This is worse than the replacement ref era. Remember that about five or six years ago. Well, the Vikings themselves uh, talked about them and what happened there. Uh, what happened to their defense? I mean, getting blown out by Buffalo at home, 27-6. In their defense, they pitched a second-half shutout. Yeah, Vikings are going to use that momentum to carry them into their biggest game thus far, a Thursday night showdown against the Rams, which, by the way, great move on Fox's part. Their first game with Thursday night football, Vikings-Rams, big upgrade from uh, Jets and Browns and whatever they tried to pass off last week on NFL Network. Uh, but the Vikings' defense, that's their calling card, non-existent in the first half as they lose to a really bad Buffalo team, a team that through the first two weeks of the year looked like they weren't going to win a game all season. What happened to the Vikings defensively? They get lit up by Josh Allen. This guy was benched in favor of Nate Peterman to open the season. Yeah, the Vikings, thinking that they go out and they get a guy like Dan Bailey, uh, one of the most accurate kickers in NFL history, who was on the street looking for work, and they feel like they're back to being a Super Bowl contender. Oh my gosh, what happened yesterday? I know the Packers and Lions fans listening uh, could not be more ecstatic about what happened, especially the Lions fans who were coming off their first victory of the season. Matt Patricia getting his first W as a Lions head coach. He does it against his former team, just the fourth loss that Tom Brady's ever had as a starting quarterback against a former coordinator, offensive or defensive. But New England just didn't look like themselves. What happened in the NFL yesterday? Washington dominating Green Bay. Adrian Peterson looked like himself. You had uh, Minnesota getting blown out by Buffalo. Patriots losing to the Lions. New York, the Giants finally get a win. Now they take down Houston, a team whose defense was supposed to be their calling card. That line with Clowney, with J.J. Watt. Had some weird games around the NFL. It was almost like we were turning back the clock, and uh, it almost felt like something from seven, eight, nine years ago. Adrian Peterson is tearing up the field. He's looking like he was in his prime. And Tiger Woods is out there winning trophies. He's winning jackets. He's winning medals. 
Uh, Tiger, good for him. Able to get back and uh, get back into the win column yesterday. He really looked like his former self, donning the red yesterday. His first tour victory in 1,874 days. Makes you feel young again. In case you missed it, Tiger Woods getting his 80th victory in the PGA Tour Championship as he wins the tour yesterday. Is it too early to say that Eldrick Taunt Woods is back to the Tiger of old? Maybe. But love him or hate him, what a cool moment for golf yesterday. All right, Le'Veon Bell, highly talented running back of the Pittsburgh Steelers, set out for his third straight game yesterday, still on his quest to become the highest-paid running back in the NFL. Uh, the Steelers were adamant early on, we are not trading Le'Veon Bell. We are not trading our franchise running back. Now they're listening to offers about trading Le'Veon Bell. So where's he going to end up? Who's out there looking for a running back? Well, you could think of a few landing spots, and then what's Pittsburgh going to ask to get him? What are teams willing to offer to get a guy like Le'Veon, a guy who is willing to put money before the team? As harsh as that is, I like Le'Veon, but that's what he's doing right now, is he's putting money before going out and winning games for Pittsburgh, because they are a dumpster fire right now, and they desperately need a win tonight against Tampa Bay and Ryan Fitzmagic in the worst way, because that clubhouse that locker room what have you is completely falling apart so what are teams willing to give up for a guy who is showing that he may not be there when called upon this is not a josh gordon situation where he's going to be dealt for a fifth round draft pick you're going to have to give up an arm and a leg if you want to get this guy all kinds of talent but you're going to have to break the bank and you're probably going to lose some talent well, pittsburgh's going to want some kind of return they're not going to settle to deal him like Cleveland did with Josh Gordon. They would rather wait and let Le'Veon come back in week 11 and see what happens. So where does he end up? And how quickly does it happen? Hey, let's talk quarterbacks. The two most talked about quarterbacks yesterday, one for good reasons, one for sad reasons, Patrick Mahomes and Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy G looked like he was going to be the face of the franchise over in San Francisco, tears his ACL. He's a guy you root for. Always liked him. When he was backing up Tom Brady, then he finally gets a shot himself, kind of like what Aaron Rodgers did over in Green Bay, sitting behind Brett Favre for all those years. And now, Jimmy G, his season's done. So now what do you do if you're John Lynch and the 49ers? Do you go out and find another quarterback, or do you trust C.J. Beathard, second-year man out of Iowa? You know, he's a guy that has looked... Okay, looked capable, competent at least on the NFL field, but not superstar worthy. You go out and try to get a quarterback. You've got one of the most brilliant offensive minds as your head coach. Got to give him some tools to work with. Because what's he got right now? You're down to Bethard. Who do you have running the football? You've got Alfred Morris, who's capable, but his best days of football are behind him. You've got Matt Breida, uh, Kyle Juszczyk, who's basically there to have the ball thrown to him out in the flat. He's a fullback that never runs the ball. You know, the favorite target here early on has been George Kittle. You know, Marquise Goodwin is injured. You've got a great offensive mind at the helm with Kyle Shanahan. He is brilliant. But you've got to give him some tools to work with if you want to be successful. Meanwhile, Patrick Mahomes continues to light it up over in Kansas City. Those two actually played yesterday. Garoppolo and the 49ers played Mahomes and the Chiefs, a 38-27 win for Kansas City. 
And Patrick Mahomes sets the NFL record with 13 touchdown passes in his first three games. He surpasses Peyton Manning's previous mark of 12. Patrick Mahomes is the real deal. And Kansas City brought him up right. They didn't try to put the pressure on him right away and bring him into the system as a rookie. Instead, they let him sit out last year. You got to work behind Alex Smith, a very capable quarterback in his own right. And then brought up this year where he's the guy. They know what they're getting with his arm. He can run the football if necessary. They did this right as far as how they brought up Patrick Mahomes. How often is it that expectations are through the roof for a young quarterback and then he comes in and he lives up to him that's what Mahomes is doing right here the Chiefs did this right they managed their time well what a concept for Andy Reid he managed time he did it with Patrick Mahomes I think the Rams tried to do that with Jared Goff Browns maybe tried to do that with Baker Mayfield I don't know it paid off for them in the uh in at least the first taste they got of him. Still a long season ago, and they still played the Jets. But Mahomes right now is looking like he's an NFL quarterback en route to the Pro Bowl in his first season as a starter. By the way, Pigskin Payday is back. Pick the winner of each week's game to win. Play all season long for the $100,000 grand prize only at Ojibwe Casino in Barriga and Marquette. I tell you what, let's take a timeout. We've got baseball, we've got basketball coming up. K-A-T, Carl Anthony Downs gets paid. One of his teammates wants out. And the postseason race heating up. One week left in the regular season. Over on the diamond. All that and more coming up in the Sports Pen, ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. This is the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Danner Hoops with you. Glad that you're with us. Turning to the NBA, all eyes have been on the Minnesota Timberwolves as of late. Carl Anthony Towns, Jimmy Butler, both in the news, both for very different reasons. Butler has made it clear he wants out of Minnesota. He wants to go somewhere where he feels that he can win. Uh, Some possible landing spots for him include Brooklyn, Philadelphia, Houston, the Clippers, as well as Portland and Miami. Minnesota Timberwolves owner Glenn Taylor wants the focus to get off of Butler and back onto the Timberwolves as they prepare for the upcoming season. He wants a deal done by the end of the month. He wants us you know, to be taken care of as quickly as possible, get the focus away from Butler, who did not report to Media Day earlier today. He's willing to wait this out until he can leave. You don't know what happened there to spark the bad blood between Butler, maybe the front office, Tom Thibodeau, what have you. But Butler is determined that he will not be wearing a Minnesota jersey by the time the NBA season tips off. Some good news for Timberwolves fans. Carl Anthony Towns will be sticking around agreeing to a Supermax deal over the weekend. Five years, $190 million. C-A-T got P-A-I-D. The team did not release terms of the deal, but Towns said that he felt the same excitement as he did back when he was drafted in 2015. I hope you're excited, Carl Anthony, because you're now richer than Aaron Rodgers. All right, Major League Baseball. We look at the NL Central race, and really that's the only question mark left in the regular season. Uh, The Cubs took two out of three this weekend against the White Sox. Milwaukee, two out of three against Pittsburgh. St. Louis with a much-needed three-game sweep over San Fran. So the Cubs become the first National League team to get to 90 wins. They're now 91-64. and 64. Two and a half game lead over the Brew Crew. Four and a half over St. Louis. Once again, seven games left 
in the regular season. In both the American and National Leagues, there are six teams that are still alive for playoff contention. Five spots to go. So you look over in the American League, Boston's already clinched, Cleveland's already clinched, Houston is already clinched. The Yankees have locked in a wildcard spot. Yankees are going to host the wildcard game in all likelihood. You've got Oakland, who occupies the second wildcard spot right now. And then Tampa Bay is a long shot at this point. They're six and a half games behind Oakland with, once again, one week to go. So you can almost pencil in Oakland for that spot. It's going to have to be a disastrous uh, last week of the season for Oakland in order for them to miss the playoffs and for Tampa to get in. So you look over in the National League. You've got Atlanta, who clinched the National League East over the weekend. They're 88-68. and 68. The Dodgers and Cubs lead their two divisions right now. Neither of them are locked in, however. Milwaukee still with an outside chance. St. Louis still with an outside chance to come back and catch the Cubs here in the Central. Those two are the uh, wildcard teams as it is right now. Milwaukee a two-game lead over St. Louis for home field advantage in that wildcard game. Meanwhile, Colorado, a game and a half out of wildcard contention, they trail St. Louis. Colorado also sits a game and a half behind Los Angeles with no meetings remaining against the Dodgers this season. Well, tonight the Brewers start their final road series of the year, a three-game set in St. Louis, which unless it is a sweep either way, the Cubs are going to effectively lock up the National League Central should they keep taking care of business. Six games left in the regular season for the Brewers. They've got a gritty St. Louis team on the road tonight, tomorrow, and then Wednesday. Then a day off Thursday and ending the season at home with a three-game set against Detroit. The Cubs, meanwhile, stay at Wrigley for their final seven games of the year. They open up a four-game set against Pittsburgh tonight. And then they're home with St. Louis to end the regular season over the weekend. So the Cardinals have about as tough a road as any of the three. But it's an advantage to them because they play the two teams that they're in contention with for the Central. Chance to help out their own cause. That three-game set with Milwaukee coming up this week, a day off Thursday, and then they're at Wrigley to take on the Cubs this weekend. That ends the regular season. So still a lot to be decided. Right now it looks like all three of those teams, St. Louis, Chicago, and Milwaukee, are going to be postseason bound. But the Cardinals are the most vulnerable of any of those teams. They need to find a way to get off the bubble and separate themselves from Colorado. Meanwhile, over in the American League, the final home game for Victor Martinez over the weekend. As the Tigers welcome Kansas City, they split a four-game series at Comerica. Tigers hit the road for the final six games of the regular season off day-to-day. And then a three-game set at Minnesota, followed by the three-game set at Milwaukee. Tough year for Detroit, but... Good news is they're not going to lose 100 games. 63-93 and 93 with six games to go. Actually fairly impressive when you look at the roster they've had and what they've had to deal with. No Iglesias for much of the season. No Cabrera for a lot of the year. For a while, it was looking like the American League could have as many as four teams with 100 losses. That will not be the case. It appears that there's only going to be two. Right now, Baltimore sits with 45 wins, 110 losses. That's worse than the majors. Kansas City not far behind, 54 wins, 102 losses. Detroit and the White Sox were the teams on the bubble. Detroit 63-93, and 93, Chicago 61-94. and 94. So it looks like those two teams are safe. Let's look around the MLB schedule coming up for this evening. Monday night baseball, you've got Miami visiting Washington. 
Uh, that's a 7.05 start as Sandy Alcantara goes up against Steven Strasburg. Houston visits Toronto. 7.07 start. Dallas Keuchel against Marco Estrada. That could be fun. 7.10, the Yankees visit the Rays. Luis Severino taking on Diego Castillo. Rays team that is fighting for their postseason lives in desperate need of a win and some help. Then at 7.10, Baltimore visits Boston. Dylan Bundy going up against Nathan Avaldi. Really good start for Bundy his last time out, trying to build off of it. 8.05, Pittsburgh visiting the Cubs as you've got Jamison Talion going up against Cole Hamels. Uh, the White Sox host Cleveland at 8.10. Corey Kluber goes up against Dylan Covey. Uh, 8.15, Milwaukee and St. Louis, the matchup. So far, you've got Jack Flaherty going for St. Louis. His opponent, TBD, per Craig Council. 8.40, Philadelphia visiting Colorado. You've got Zach Eflin going up against Tyler Anderson. Uh, a 940 start for the Dodgers and the Diamondbacks. A huge matchup uh, for Los Angeles as Clayton Kershaw takes on Robbie Ray. Uh, the Texas Rangers visit the Angels at 1007. Adrian Sampson against Felix Pena. Uh, Oakland visiting Seattle, 10 10 matchup. Daniel Mengden going up against James Paxton. Final game of the night, the 10 15 start for. San Diego at San Francisco, Brian Mitchell squares off against Derek Holland. That is a slate of baseball tonight. Of course, you're going to be watching Monday Night Football, aren't you? Unless you're a Brewers fan, you're going to be pretty locked in on that Cubs game. But Monday Night Football is an intriguing one for me because uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick has been lighting it up for the first couple of weeks of the season. Obviously, not the long-term solution for Tampa Bay at age 35, uh, but he's putting up numbers that he hasn't throughout his career, and we haven't seen throughout much of the NFL's history. Can he keep it going against Pittsburgh, who is dealing with all sorts of problems right now? In the locker room, Mike Tomlin's losing control. Antonio Brown doesn't want to be there. Le'Veon Bell may not be there here by the end of the week. Tough scene over in Pittsburgh. They're in desperate need of a win. You think about it, and the Cleveland Browns have a better record than them right now. Cleveland Browns have a better record than the Steelers, and the New England Patriots. It's week three of the NFL season. Raise your hand if you saw that coming. All right, we touched on it earlier, but let's go back to last night's win as the Lions took down New England 26-10. First win of the year for Detroit, and just like that, they're right back in the NFC North, which isn't looking as dominant through the first three weeks as we all thought it might. The Lions still have a shot to get through the open door. But first and foremost, it's the first win as Lions head coach for Matt Patricia. It comes against the team that he coached in the Super Bowl earlier this year. He leaves New England, where he was the defensive coordinator, comes over to Detroit. Had just a brutal first couple of weeks of the season, as uh, at least from a defensive standpoint. And they come out and hold Tom Brady and New England just 10. You know, Tom said in his postgame, you know, they're just not executing right now. They had a great game plan against Gronk. You know, we talked about how tough it would be for an 0-2 team to go up against a perennial power like Brady in the Pats, a guy like Bill Belichick. And it ends up being something that works in Matt Patricia's favor. He coached these guys. He's coached up this defense. He knows exactly what their strengths and what their weaknesses are. And he shows Matthew Stafford how to exploit them. And the Lions do just that. Detroit never trailed in the game. They outrushed New England 159 to 89, outpassed them 255 to 120. 
414 total yards compared to 209. Matthew Stafford outplayed Tom Brady last night. Stafford was 27 for 36, 262 yards, two TDs and a pick. Brady, 14 for 26, 133 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. Carryon Johnson, 16 touches for 101 yards. He became the first Lion to rush for over 100 yards in a game since Reggie Bush. Yeah, it's been that long. A statement win for the Lions as they find themselves right back in the thick of things in the NFC North. Who else would have thought that at the beginning of the season, Chicago would be leading the division through the first three weeks? Chicago's 2-1, Green Bay and Minnesota are both 1-1-1, one, one, and, one, and then Detroit's 1-2. It's not the dominant power we all thought it might be. Two undefeated teams left in the NFC, Los Angeles, the Rams, they beat their crosstown rival, the Chargers, yesterday to improve to 3-0. Tampa Bay with a chance to move to 3-0 tonight when they take on the Steelers on Monday Night Football. Over in the AFC, how about Miami? They're 3-0. They have a two-game lead over everybody in that division. New England, Buffalo, and New York are all 1-2. Would you have thought three weeks into the year New England and Buffalo would have the same record? They, they're both behind the Browns. Who would have thought that either? The only other unbeaten team in the AFC is Kansas City behind Golden Arm Mahomes. Winless teams, however. Houston dropping to 0-3 yesterday, falling to the Giants. Oakland 0-3 in the Gruden era. Pittsburgh a chance to get their first win tonight on Monday Night Football. Over in the NFC, there's only one winless team. Arizona, who's 0-3. Sam Bradford bench yesterday in the waning moments of that game. Josh Rosen comes in. Probably a good move, honestly, by head coach Steve Wilkes. I mean, Rosen comes in, you see what you get out of him. Loss isn't going to be pinned on him. It's on Sam Bradford. Maybe you like what you get out of Rosen. If you get rid of Bradford, you save yourself a ton of cash if you do it. They've got a lot of questions to have answered over in Arizona, and I think it goes a lot farther than Josh Rosen or Sam Bradford. Hey, last thing before we go to break, let's take a look at the NBA Power Rankings. They've just been released. First edition of the NBA Power Rankings for the coming season. Uh, number one, no surprises, Golden State on top. They far and away have the most talented roster in the NBA. Number two, Boston Celtics. Celtics the favorite over in the East this season, followed by Houston at number three. And the Toronto Raptors and Oklahoma City rounds out the top five. Once again, the top five in the first edition of the NBA Power Rankings, Golden State number one, Boston, Houston, Toronto, and Oklahoma City in that order. Going down the list, number six is Utah, Philadelphia is seventh, Indiana is in eighth. Pacers a team that could surprise a lot of people this year, continuing to get better. The Lakers are ninth, and then Portland comes in at tenth. So 6 through 10 in the first edition of the NBA Power Rankings, Utah, Philadelphia, Indiana, the Los Angeles Lakers, and Portland. Obviously, Golden State's number one. It will be their NBA to lose this season. Tell you what, we'll take another timeout. We'll come back. We'll take a look at some college football. We've got all that and more coming up on the Sports Pen, ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. I'm Tanner Hoops. 
Well, busy weekend of college football, as always, this time of the year. Special weekend right here in Marquette with homecoming for Northern Michigan University. The screening of Put Your Hand on the Line that chronicles the 1975 National Championship run by the Wildcat football team one year removed from an 0-10 season. The 2018 version of the team took on number 6 Ferris State, fell by a score of 35-19, the most potent offense in Division II, visited the Superior Dome over the weekend. Cats now gear up for another tough test this weekend, a road trip to take on Davenport. Plenty of headlines to go through at the Division I level. We'll take a look at how the top 25 looks following this weekend's games. Uh, Alabama remains at number one, 4-0 team. Georgia, Clemson, and Ohio State round out the top four. They all hold their place from last week's standing. So Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, Ohio State the top four as it stands right now. LSU jumps up to number five, Oklahoma falling to six. Despite uh, winning this weekend, they were taken to overtime by unranked Army in Norman. Uh, number seven, Stanford holds true, as does number eight, Notre Dame. Those two square off this weekend in South Bend. Penn State up one spot to number nine. Auburn drops one spot to number 10. So once again, the top 10 in this week's top 25 college football poll, Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, Ohio State, LSU at five, Oklahoma, Stanford, Notre Dame, Penn State, and Auburn. Number 11 is Washington dropping one spot. West Virginia holds at number 12. UCF is up three spots to 13th. Michigan climbs five spots to number 14 after a statement win at home against Nebraska. And then Wisconsin climbing up three spots to number 15 after they defeat Iowa at Kinnick Stadium. Miami is up five spots to number 16. Kentucky joins the top 25 for the first time since 2007. They check in at number 17. Texas is 18th, a big win for them over TCU this weekend. Oregon up one spot to number 19. BYU jumps five spots to number 20. So once again, 11 through 20 in the college football poll this week. Washington, West Virginia, UCF, Michigan, Wisconsin at number 15. Then Miami, Kentucky, Texas, Oregon, and BYU. Rounding out the top 25, Michigan State led by Brian Lewerke up to number 21. Duke enters the top 25. They are 22nd. Mississippi State tumbles nine spots to number 23. They were the biggest movers either way. California. They're in the top 25, and rounding it out is Texas Tech. Both those teams unranked last week. So what game stood out over the weekend? It started on Friday night. USC wins a shootout against Washington State 39-36. Trojans trying to bounce back after falling to Texas last week. Other games that stood out from Saturday, Maryland hands Minnesota their first loss of the season, and in a big way, 42-13, Nebraska. Scott Frost era is not off to the start they were envisioning, certainly. 56-10 win for Michigan. They absolutely dominate the Cornhuskers in the big house. Boston College back in the rankings for the first time since 2008. It was short-lived. Purdue gets in the win column with a 30-13 win. Purdue's an interesting team that a lot of people aren't talking about but probably should be. They're a team that could very easily be 4-0 right now instead of 1-3. Had a few breaks gone their way, but Rondell Moore, keep an eye on him. He's a guy that not a lot of people are talking about, but they need to be. 
Notre Dame makes a change at quarterback. Ian Book gets a start over Brandon Wimbush, and the offense responds a 56-27 victory over Wake Forest in the Irish' first road game of the season. Wake Forest fired their defensive coordinator a day later. I had Georgia possibly being on upset alert this weekend. They go to Columbia, Missouri. They take care of business against Mizzou 43-29. to how about Virginia beating Louisville 27-3? First time as members of the ACC that Louisville has failed to score a touchdown. Last time that happened, they were still over in the old Big East Conference. Clemson all over Georgia Tech is heard on ESPN Radio 49-21. Miami a two-touchdown winner over Florida International 31-17. Ohio State first game with Urban Meyer back. No problem, they roll Tulane at the Horseshoe 49-6. Texas A&M had to go into Tuscaloosa. Jimbo Fisher trying to beat the man that he used to assist for in Nick Saban. 45-23 the tight roll. Biggest upset of the day, Virginia Tech falls from the ranks of the unbeaten and they fall from the rankings overall with a 49-35 loss to Old Dominion. This is a program that's not even 10 years old over at Old Dominion. They came into the game winless and they get their first victory ever over a Power 5 team on the gridiron. Texas taking down a ranked TCU squad at Darrell K. Royal Stadium 31-16. A statement win for Kentucky. They're not just a basketball school this year as they take down 14th-ranked Mississippi State 28-7. That propels the Wildcats into the top 25 for the first time in over a decade. LSU gets by Louisiana Tech 38-21. Not much of a problem there. Oklahoma, however, did have a problem with Army. West Point rolls in and the Sooners survive in overtime 28-21. Sorry, Virginia Tech, you're still on the hot seat as the biggest upset of the day. Oklahoma State, another ranked team, went down. Texas Tech comes in and wins 41-17 in Stillwater. Michigan State, they get by Indiana 35-21. Auburn, no problem with Arkansas 34-3. Stanford and Oregon was one of the most highly touted games coming into the weekend, and it lived up, did not disappoint. Stanford went into Eugene. A college game day there, and the Cardinal have to come from behind to win in overtime, 38-31. to That sets up an undefeated top-10 showdown next week in South Bend. Meanwhile, Wisconsin scores two touchdowns in the final minute at Kinnick Stadium. They beat Iowa 28-17, to and it won't say that was the Big Ten West championship effectively, but the winner of that game has gone on to win the Big Ten West division each of the last four years. Washington gets by Arizona State by a score of 27-20. First loss at the helm for Herm Edwards. Let's break down how Saturday went for the local teams and we'll begin in the big house. Number 19, Michigan, 56-10 winners over Nebraska. They hand the Huskers their worst start to a season in 73 years. That's how long it's been since Nebraska's been 0-3. Michigan, meanwhile, improves to 3-1. Jim Harbaugh finding a way to turn the team around after a week one loss to Notre Dame. This game was over before it started. A 39-0 halftime lead for Michigan. Higdon ran for 136 yards in the first half alone. It didn't get much better for Nebraska throughout the day. The Huskers were held to just 39 yards of rushing and 93 passing yards for a net total of 132. Michigan, 491 for the game. 206 through the air, 285 on the ground. 
Time possession, dominated by Michigan, 35-29 compared to 24-31 for the Huskers. The Michigan defense stymied prize Nebraska quarterback Adrian Martinez. He was just 7 for 15 through the year, 22 yards. That's real, 22 yards. Andrew Bunch, the backup, came in, actually did better. 6 for 9, 71 yards. And I don't know if that's a testament to the Michigan defense or if Nebraska just is that bad. Keep in mind, they were defeated in Lincoln last week, 24-19 by Troy. So has this Michigan team got better since week one at Notre Dame when they lost 24-17 and the heat was squarely underneath the seat of Jim Harbaugh and his staff? Oh, we're going to find out. The schedule that they have is no joke. This weekend, Michigan visits Northwestern, a 4:30 kickoff. As Wolverines jump to number 14 in this week's rankings. An abysmal start to the game for the Huskers. 17 yards of total offense by halftime. That's not a joke. That's not a misprint. 17 yards of offense by halftime for the University of Nebraska. They had 10 penalties go for 79 yards. That was equivalent to 60% of Nebraska's total offense for the game. Six out of every 10 yards in that game for Nebraska came via penalty. They were tackled 14 times behind the line of scrimmage. Are you starting to get the picture yet of how Saturday went for the Huskers? If not, there's a few more things to shed some light on it. 6.4 yards per play for Michigan on offense against Nebraska. The only Big Ten teams that gave up more to Michigan's offense last year, Minnesota and Rutgers. Nebraska made this move thinking that they were going to be talked about among Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, and Ohio State, not Minnesota and Rutgers. The Huskers also gave up 12 passing plays of 15 yards or more and 12 running plays of 17 yards or more. 12 runs that went for at least 17 yards in one game by one team. Meanwhile, Michigan State had to get a little tricky to hold off a pesky Indiana Hoosiers team. 35-21, the final in Bloomington. The Spartans survived. Indiana came roaring back. They opened the fourth quarter with 13 unanswered points, getting within seven with 3.28 to play, but Michigan responding. Just 11 seconds later, Jalen Naylor nails the coffin shut, 75-yard touchdown run, putting Michigan State up by two scores. Highlights in that game, Brian Lewerke, 14 for 25, 213 yards. He threw for two touchdowns. He was picked twice. Ladarius Jefferson, 10 carries, 34 yards. Five different Spartans finished the ball game with five tackles or more. So Michigan State improves to 2-1. and one. Indiana takes their first loss. They're 3-1. Sparty finished the game with 350 total yards compared to 301 for the Hoosiers. Just 29 yards came on the ground for Indiana. The Michigan State defense suffocating up the middle. This weekend, the Spartans are back in East Lansing. They go out of the conference. Little interstate rivalry, a noon kickoff as Central Michigan, 1-3 on the season, enters. Little Maction coming to the Big Ten. Speaking of Central Michigan, they win 17-5 this weekend over Maine. The previously unbeaten Black Bears fall to 2-1. Central Michigan did not trail in the game. The Chips get out to a 10-0 start by halftime. That would be more than enough as Central's defense did not allow Maine to reach the end zone. 
Final numbers for the Chippewa offense, 177 yards of total offense. They were actually outgained by Maine, who finished with 265. Neither team rushed for 100 yards, Central with 95, Maine with 82. The rest of it came through the air. Penalties were a problem for Maine. They finished the game with 11. They went for 113 yards. The Black Bears also controlled time of possession with 34 minutes even. They just couldn't find the end zone. Meanwhile, the battle for the Heartland Trophy, the 18th-ranked Wisconsin Badgers had to score two touchdowns in the final minute to beat Iowa at Kinnick Stadium. They do so, winning by a score of 28-17. to It was a 7-7 tie at halftime. Flags were an issue for Wisconsin. Turnovers were the big issue for Iowa. Two of the Iowa turnovers came on punt returns. Time possession dominated by the Badgers, 35-13. And total yards, each of them put up some pretty good numbers on offense. 415 to 404, Badgers plus 11. Third down efficiency, Badgers had a couple more than Iowa did, 7 to 5. Wisconsin was able to survive being penalized eight times. That went for a total of 68 yards. Iowa, just one penalty in that game, a five-yarder. Alex Hornibrook, 17 for 22, 205 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. He was fantastic as he outduels Nate Stanley, very good quarterback in his own right. Jonathan Taylor carried the ball 25 times, 113 yards. And Jake Ferguson, four catches for 58 yards. He led the team in the receptions category. Both teams are now 3-1. and one. The Badgers shaking off last week's loss against BYU at Camp Randall. Next up, the bye week, and then the Nebraska Cornhuskers are in town. 1 o'clock kickoff on October 6th. Western Michigan, winners over Georgia State, 34-15. Broncos led wire to wire, taking a 20-9 lead into halftime, led by as many as 26 in the ballgame. John Wasink was brilliant, 20-25, 20 234 yards, passing three TDs and no picks. Jamari Bogan, 15 carries for 126 yards, seven catches for 101 yards, including a touchdown for Jaden Reed. Western is now 2-2 two and two on the year. They roll up 528 yards of total offense in the game, 294 on the ground, 234 through the air, converting 5 of 13 third downs and rolling up 25 first downs in the game. Time possession, they dominate with 34-17. Next up, a road trip to Miami, Ohio. They take on the Red Hawks next week for a 3.30 kickoff. One more area game from Saturday. Eastern Michigan going out west to San Diego, taking on San Diego State, falling 23-20 in overtime. Eastern got the lead with 3.18 to go in the fourth quarter. Chad Ryland connected on a 24-yard field goal, but San Diego State sent the game to overtime with a minute 16 to go. John Barron tied things up, connecting on a 50-yard field goal. Barron's 38-yarder in overtime would prove to be the winner. Mike Glass was 9 for 16 through the air, 153 yards, a touchdown, a pick. Shaq Vaughn, 21 carries, 76 yards. Arthur Jackson, 3 catches for 45 yards, including 1 touchdown. Eastern finished the game with 355 total yards compared to 350 for San Diego State, but it's not enough as Eastern drops to 2-2 two two on the year. They return home next weekend to host Northern Illinois. That game is set for a 6 o'clock kickoff. I tell you what, we have one more break that we owe you. We'll take it now. We'll come back and we'll put the finishing touches. Don't go anywhere. This is the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. 
This is the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Thanks for being with us. A reminder, Pigskin Payday is back. Pick the winner of each week's game to win. Play all season long for $100,000 in grand prize money. Only at Ojibwe Casinos in Barriga and Marquette. Well, here's something I bet you didn't know. If I were to ask you who has the longest active streak in college football of scoring at least 30 points in a game, who would you say? If you were to guess, the defending national champion UCF Knights, that'd be correct. 16 straight games in which they've scored at least 30 points. That's unreal. Granted, the conference they play in, the schedule they have, might uh, have a little bit to do with that. But they believe they're the defending national champs. That dates back to last season. 16 straight games scoring at least 30 points. Even if it's at the mid-major level, that's pretty impressive. That's something special they have cooking down there in Orlando. Who out of the Power 5 teams has the longest streak? Penn State. Penn State with eight. Eight straight games with scoring at least 30 points. Next on the list, Buffalo with seven. Appalachian State with six. North Texas with five. And then you get a few of the uh, Power 5s. In the mix with four, Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, Oregon, Washington State, just to name a few. Well, I tell you what, if there was ever a time to change your quarterback, this weekend appeared to be it. We saw in the NFL Thursday night, a rookie comes in and snaps a losing streak that dated back 635 days. A couple of top 10 teams did it in college football this weekend. It paid off for both of them. They scored 56 and 49 points in their respective games. Clemson, Kelly Bryant was out injured. Trevor Lawrence came in, and Kelly might not get his spot back. I mean, he's been Wally Piff. Trevor Lawrence has already been named the starter for this weekend against Syracuse. Notre Dame, similar thing. They had the lowest margin of victory out of any of the remaining unbeaten teams entering play this weekend. They make a change at quarterback. Ian Book looked poised and confident. Goes for five touchdowns, three in the air, two running the football as Notre Dame puts up 56 points at Wake Forest. There's a lot to like about Brandon Wimbush. A lot of college coaches would kill to have a guy like that. Book right now is just getting the spark the offense needs to be successful. Now that doesn't mean that guys like Kelly Bryan or Brandon Wimbush aren't going to see the light of day again this season. Both those head coaches, Brian Kelly, Dabo Sweeney, understand how good of athletes those two are, and they're going to find a way to get them into the mix. They'll get some snaps. They'll find ways to utilize that athleticism. If anybody who got benched this weekend should be worried, it's Terod Taylor. I don't know how he takes snaps away from Baker Mayfield after that performance. Once again, big-time quarterback battle going on tonight. Monday Night Football, Pittsburgh visiting Tampa Bay, 8-15 kick. Do Ben Roethlisberger and the Steelers get back on track, get into the win column for the first time this year, or does Ryan Fitzmagic continue for a third straight week? Share your thoughts with us on Twitter at ESPNUP. We want to hear what you think once again at ESPNUP on Twitter. All right, some tough news on the local football scene. Uh, The decision was made today for the Manistique High School Emeralds to cancel the remainder of their football season. Obviously, Westwood was supposed to play them last Friday night. Game didn't happen. It was a forfeit due to lack of available players on the part of Manistique. They've had to forfeit three of their five games this year. The two games they have played, they've given up 95 points. They have just 14 guys on the varsity roster. And the decision was made for the safety of the players, their health, what have you, that they're going to cancel the remainder of the varsity football season. The team will still play JV, but weeks 6 through 9 have been canceled for Manistique varsity football. 
All right, switching gears a little bit, going to hockey. Less than two weeks until the NHL season starts. Are you excited? A lot to be excited about, a lot to look forward to with hockey season coming up. Philadelphia Flyers fans were excited for the unveiling of their new mascot, Gritty. Uh, the design became available to the public today, and we can safely say that public opinion is fairly negative. This is a Flyers organization. I don't know who's in charge of creative design over there. Never been a big fan. The jerseys are just atrociously ugly. That orange is not a good look with them. Uh, can never seem to have a stylish jersey. I'd kind of like to see them go black. Uh, but now they have a mascot to match it, which is the good news. Um, go and vote in our Twitter poll. We'd love to hear from you. Is the Philadelphia Flyers' new mascot the worst mascot in all of sports? We'd love to hear what you think about it. So far, public opinion in the Twitter poll is uh, kind of leaning toward what I'm thinking. Uh, not a good look for Philadelphia, but somebody thought it was a good idea, and that's, that's somebody's prerogative. Somebody else's head on the chopping block. Hey, how about college hockey? The Big Ten men's hockey preseason coaches poll was released today. The preseason favorite? Ohio State. The Buckeyes, after their run to the Frozen Four last year, they were bounced in the semis by eventual champion Minnesota Duluth. Finished second in the Big Ten tournament last year. They are the coach's favorite to win the conference this year, followed by the Michigan Wolverines. Michigan, another team in the Frozen Four last year. Actually, the top three in this preseason poll all made the Frozen Four last year. Ohio State, Michigan, the Notre Dame picked third. Notre Dame defending national runner-ups. They won both the Big Ten regular season and tournament titles last year. Minnesota Golden Gophers, perennial power, picked to finish fourth. That's uncharted territory for them. And then you have Penn State coming off a phenomenal year, a program that's well ahead of schedule for its newness. They're picked to finish fifth. The Big Ten is going to be as deep as ever this year. If that shows you anything... The top five predictions in the conference preseason poll, Ohio State, Michigan, Notre Dame, Minnesota, and Penn State. All those teams are capable of making it to the Frozen Four this year. Rounding out the preseason poll, Wisconsin comes in sixth, and Michigan State is seventh. And of course, high expectations for Northern Michigan on the ice this year, and they play quite a few of those Big Ten teams. Opening the season October 12th and 13th at Michigan State, they've got a road trip going to Notre Dame in November. This is going to be a fun Wildcat team to watch take the ice this year. Coach P's got him going in the right direction. The bar's been raised after winning 25 games a season ago. The United States College Hockey Organization released their first preseason poll, and Minnesota Duluth, the defending national champs, took 44 of the 50 available first-place votes. They start the season ranked number one. Then... It's the three teams who joined Duluth in the Frozen Four last year in St. Paul. Notre Dame is number two. Ohio State is third. Michigan is ranked fourth. Those three each garnered two of the remaining six first-place votes. Providence rounds out the top five, followed by St. Cloud State, Cornell, Boston University, Denver, and Minnesota State. So that is the top ten in college hockey's preseason poll. Duluth, Notre Dame, Ohio State, Michigan, and Providence is the top five. St. Cloud State, Cornell, Boston University, Denver, and Minnesota State round out the top 10.
Then it's North Dakota coming in at number 11, followed by Boston College, the University of Minnesota, Princeton, and Northeastern comes in 15th. Penn State, Clarkston, Michigan Tech, Western Michigan, and then Northern comes in 20th in the preseason poll. So once again, 11 through 20, North Dakota, Boston College, Minnesota, Princeton, and Northeastern 15th. Penn State, Clarkston, Michigan Tech, Western Michigan, and Northern Michigan. Meanwhile, the Western Collegiate Hockey Association released their men's hockey preseason coaches poll today, and the Minnesota State Mavericks received seven of the ten first-place votes. They are the preseason favorite in the WCHA. Northern Michigan got two of the ten first-place votes to come in second. Bowling Green third. Michigan Tech got the other first-place vote. They're picked fourth with Bemidji State. Rounding out the top five, so once again, the top five in the WCHA preseason coaches poll, Minnesota State, Northern Michigan, Bowling Green, Michigan Tech, and Bemidji State. The rest of the poll, Ferris State comes in sixth, Lake Superior State seventh, Alaska eighth, Alabama Huntsville ninth, and Alaska Anchorage in tenth. Six through ten, once again, Ferris State, Lake Superior State, Alaska, Alabama Huntsville, and Alaska Anchorage. Preseason player of the year? Adam Rockwood, forward from Northern. Others receiving votes included his teammate Troy Loggins. Jake Jeremko out of Minnesota State was in the voting as well. Preseason Rookie of the Year, Cooper Zetch, a defenseman from Ferris State. And the preseason all-conference team, Rockwood and Loggins, along with Philip Ballou and Adi Tolvanen. Northern was picked to finish third in the media preseason conference poll. Minnesota State got 13 of the 19 available first place votes. Bowling Green was picked to finish second. They got the other first place vote. Michigan Tech fourth, Bemidji fifth, Ferris State sixth, followed by Alabama Huntsville, Lake Superior State, Alaska, and Alaska Anchorage. The media poll also had a Wildcat taking conference player of the year honors. This time, however, it was Troy Loggins. Rockwood and Tolvanen received votes for it as well. A one quick point on football to go back to. The NCAA Division II football poll has been released. And a few notables to the area. Top-ranked team in Division II this year, Minnesota State. The Mavericks out of Mankato take over the number one spot. Grand Valley State and Ferris State are number three and four. So the last two opponents for Northern, Grand Valley State and Ferris State, are back-to-back -back in the top five. Once again, Northern trying to snap their losing streak. They visit Davenport this weekend. Well, I tell you what, we have seen some storied careers in the sports industry and over the last few years. Victor Martinez with his final home game over the weekend. He's going to retire here in about a week when the regular season ends. We saw Vince Skelly just a couple of years ago retire from the Los Angeles Dodgers booth. We said goodbye to one of the most storied, albeit polarizing broadcasters in the game of the weekend. Legendary White Sox broadcaster Hawk Harrelson signed off for the final time yesterday. The 77-year-old was the biggest homer in professional sports. He had a broadcast style only he could master, and he has been a fixture of White Sox baseball for decades. Love him or hate him, he gone. Baseball, especially in the south side of Chicago, won't be the same without him. All the best in your retirement, Hawk. Well, I tell you what, that's going to do it for me. I hope you enjoyed the show as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. Back on tomorrow, 4 o'clock Eastern, 3 o'clock Central on ESPN-UP and the ESPN-UP app. Until then, we join the Will Kane Show.